Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. What was the church doing? Say what? Praying. Praying. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So there was a there was there were barriers and levels uh, of specific protection to keep him well chained and not escape. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. In other words, get up. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. He said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first, and here's then the second guard post. Now, these are well-trained Roman guards. These are not, you know, just minimum security prison. This is maximum, right? To the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So between the Romans and the Jews, Jewish leadership, they were looking to get rid of Peter. And they had certain expectations in terms of how he should be living his life. Of course, he was now a believer in Jesus, so everything got turned upside down. So what a great story this is. My goodness, how to live an overcoming life. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And when you're struggling, there's a sense you are bound when you're struggling, that you're you're tied down, that there's an anchor or a weight holding you back. And you begin to drift because you are no longer able to make headway. You are just kind of stuck in a drift and just hanging in there and going nowhere. Hear this. Sometimes we need spiritual strength, supernatural strength for a breakthrough. And once the Holy Spirit gives us that breakthrough, once he gets us there, he reminds us to start becoming responsible. The angel took Peter through three levels of security in that prison, got him outside the prison, and then left him. Say, go ahead, Peter, you go. Go, and then just left. So it becomes our responsibility to get on with the business that God's given us to do once we've been liberated. Amen? There are elements contained here leading to an overcoming life. James, the brother of John, has already been martyred. Now Herod is empowered, and he thinks, well, this is good. The Jews love this, so I'm going to go after Peter, and he's going to give him the same fate. You're going to be put to death. The adversary had a healthy respect for the early church leadership. The empire had a healthy respect for them because they were known as escape artists. Paul and Silas were in prison in a dungeon. Before sunrise, the prison doors are hanging on their hinges. The jail is wrecked, and all the prisoners are gone. So they know these guys, you never know what's going to happen with them. So Peter is tightly secured. He was chained by his hands and his feet. 
because your hands represent your work, your actions, and your worship. We clap our hands. We lift our hands to the Lord. And Peter's hands were chained. And when you're under spiritual attack, the enemy seeks to hinder, prevent your worship. You don't feel like clapping your hands in worship. You don't feel like lifting your hands because you're under some kind of an oppression. You're being hindered. You're being troubled by the adversary. First Peter, we're remind, or rather, First Timothy, Paul reminds us, men should pray without anger or quarreling or resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. So it's not a matter of feeling. This is what we need to do. And if you're not where you need to be with God, your liberty to worship can be easily affected and impaired. Peter also had his feet bound because you use your feet to dance before the Lord. You leap before the Lord with joy. Have you ever done that? Just jump, be, jump because God has blessed you with an answer beyond what you ever expected. And, and you carry his message to, other, to others with your feet. So when you're under attack, you cannot carry his message the way you should. You find yourself without the joy of the Lord, yet we should have the joy of the Lord spontaneously within our hearts. It's not happiness. It's joy that comes from him in us. And this imagery Peter's being controlled by circumstances and by people. He's between the Roman guards, but he's chained to the wall of the prison. <clears throat> the wall of the prison is made out of solid rock. They secure the chains in the stone, making it impossible for a prisoner to break free. And walls can be a, a biblical metaphor for a bondage in your life. Israel could not possess the promised land until the walled cities were dealt with. There were walls preventing them from moving from out to in, from out here to taking what belonged to them. A stronghold is constructed so that which is inside the stronghold cannot be free. That which can set it free is kept outside, prevented from coming in. So Peter's in the prison He's in this stronghold. He's held there by the Roman guards. He's chained to the stone wall. They tell him when he can eat, when he can use the bathroom, who he can see, if anybody. When you're dealing with any bondage, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, what the enemy desires is to affect your hands and your feet. How you walk, your hands how you work. And once your serving is affected, your ability to serve, I don't feel like it. I'm going through a terrible place. I don't feel like it. Your walk is affected. You're being controlled by your adversary. He's got you right where he wants you. And how can you be free? Your work is impacted. Your worship is impacted. Your ability to spread what God wants, spread around in in your area of circle of influence is affected. See, people are addicted and bound today to substances, addicted to sexual expressions outside of marriage. It's horrendous what we're watching and hearing about, controlled by unforgiveness, bitterness. You're seeing it in the hearts of people and anger over something they didn't get the way they wanted it. Addicted means hooked on, tied to, can't let go. I have to have my drugs. I have to get through the day with this substance. I have to recapture that feeling 
that brings comfort to my life because that's what gives me a sense of relief from all the pressures I self-medicate. There are levels of control people become subjugated to. Peter was under control of the empire. The good news, there is a chain-breaking anointing. And here's how. Number one, God sends a messenger. And if you're away from God, he will send your mom to your house. God will have an old friend connect with you. I was that friend for somebody I knew a long time and found out he was not living the way he should. Tracked him down, called him, said, what are you doing? He told me what he was doing. And then I told him what he needed to hear from God. See, because when you describe your life in front of that messenger, they will always answer you with a message from God. It's not coincidental. It is very impacting and shocking when that messenger pinpoints what you have need of in your life. God sent an angelic messenger. God will send you a human messenger or an angelic messenger. And they come with a message. God can get you out. And what is the message? The message that God gave to Peter, get up, right? What was Peter doing? He was sleeping. He was about to be put to death the next morning, but he was sleeping. And why could he be sleeping through all of this, going around in this maximum security cell? Well, in John's gospel, Jesus indicated to Peter, you've got, you've got a great job before you and a lot of work to do ahead of you. Peter was confident he was going to get to fulfill that purpose. That's why he did what we prayed about earlier, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. That's exactly what Peter was doing. He trusted God. He rested. He waited for God to fulfill his promises to him. He knew, I can't die yet. Tell your neighbor, I can't die yet. Amen? God's not finished with us. Peter knew he had life to live ahead of him and an assignment that God wanted him to fulfill. And the reason some people never get out of their situation, they are spiritually asleep. Hmm. The word says this to the church, rouse yourselves and keep awake and strengthen and invigorate what remains and is on the point of dying. Come on, he's telling us. Let's get with it. The first thing God will do is send you a messenger that says, wake up. When you're praying for a child that is away from God, pray, God, awaken his or her spirit. Awaken his or her spirit. Put anointed cloths in his or her pillowcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anoint it. Pray over it. Declare the word of God over that cloth and stick it inside the pillowcase where they're going to sleep. When they go to sleep, God will begin to awaken his or her spirit. And the reason that people are not passionately serving God, their spirit is asleep. Because you can be asleep or you can be dull. Either one of those neutralizes your ability to do what God's designed you to do. Blind in the spiritual eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened is the will of God, that you may know what is the hope of his calling 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So when you hear, wake up, you have the opportunity of getting up or remaining where you are, still chained to the walls that you're held by. But I want to tell you, when Peter stood up, the chains came off. But the enemy gives you a list of negative stuff about what's going to happen if you go ahead and get up. He's going to start filling your head with all kinds of negativity. This will happen if you get up. Don't listen to any of it. And no worries. The chains will fall off if you wake up and stand up. And when you do stand up, that which was bound will fall off of you. The chains that held you to the wall will be broken. Number two, Peter came to himself. When you wake up, you will come to yourself. (laughs) Remember the prodigal son. He took the inheritance that belonged to him and spent it all in riotous living. He partied hard. Spent all. Anything he could do wrong, he did it. You'll find out who your friends are when the funds are gone. See who remains hanging out with you when it's all gone. You were driving your Maserati SUV and then it got repoed. Bye. See ya. When he had spent all, he began to be in want. But when he came to himself, okay, the prodigal son had to hit bottom. How did this wealthy Jewish boy end up hitting rock bottom? Jesus was telling this story to a Jewish audience, and they're filled with revulsion. A Jewish boy is serving in a pig pen. A pig is the most unclean animal to the Jew. And there's no bacon, no pork in their diet. Feeding pigs, you cannot get any lower. And Jesus could not have described anything worse for a Jew Anything lower than being in a pig pen. It is the worst. A gasp comes up out of the mouths of his audience when he's describing and telling the story about this wealthy Jewish boy landing in a pig pen. But the scripture goes on to say, Jesus in telling the story says, he came to himself. I remember the day I could sit at my father's table and eat what I needed and had all my provision. I remembered that all of his servants are treated better than I'm treated. There were steak and prime rib, filet and grapes and figs, everything over my, over my head that was provided for me. I was blessed, and, and whatever I wanted, my father provided. When he came to himself, he said, I think I'll go back to my father's house. When your loved one has gone out there spiritually... Don't complacently sit by thinking or hoping all is going to be well. No. You get proactive. You pray for a pig pen experience. You're hearing me right. You pray for a pig pen experience. You pray that the pain will cause them to wake up and come to themselves. I'll never forget learning this lesson, and I hope you don't as parents have to learn it the hard way. But you will learn this along with the prodigal learning this. When the Holy Spirit finally gets your attention because 
Every time they're in trouble, you bail them out. And then the Holy Spirit finally pulls you aside and says, I've been trying to answer your prayer to get to them. If you would get out of my way, get out of my way, I will get to them and answer your prayer. Because you're stopping me every time I've got them right where I want them, you step into the middle of this thing. You pray for a pig pen experience. And here's what will happen. Strap up. Come on, tighten the belt. This gets a little rough. They might get arrested. They might go broke. But when they hit bottom, wake up happens. And they remember what it was once like. Now all they've got is P, B, and J. That's it. And yeah, You know what that is, right? And they start thinking, I miss mom's cooking, man. I miss my brother and sister. And I miss our families gathering at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And here's what the enemy cannot take away from them. Those memories. Families make great memories spiritually by bringing them to God's house, exposing them to God's presence, keeping them in God's house, make great memories of the Lord's presence in them, and make great memories of the goodness of your family and the way that they were raised by wholesome parents who put God first. Make great memories, and here's why. Memories are important because they can't be taken from you. I was asked to go out at Beale and do a part of the ceremony for the POWs and MIAs, and there were several POWs that were there that were held in prison camps during war. And what they had in common was, what got you through this? What got you through this? One was tortured every single day and said, the memories of one day I will be free again, the memories of my home, the memories of my family, the memories of the good things that God had provided in my life that one day I would again get to experience. Memories. The house might burn down, but you will remember what the house was like and what the rooms were like and what those experiences you had were like. The car might get traded in, but you'll remember it and the tickets you received while you were driving it. Or you're driving your girlfriend home after curfew and you'll remember that automobile. The prodigal hit bottom. Sometimes your child will have to hit bottom. And you'll be in pain over it. And you're not the only ones that will be in pain. You'll be in pain too. Because if they had just listened. But sometimes they have to get to the pig pen before they come to themselves and they remember their spiritual roots. They remember they had it better than they have it now. And God will send everyone a messenger... Does anybody here have a loved one away from God? Not only pray for the loved one away from God, pray for the messenger, the one God will use to awaken them. A divine connection, not an enabler. No, they don't need any more enablers. Pray God will awaken their spirit. And Peter comes to himself. And listen, when there is bondage, What keeps people tied to the wrong influences? Why? Why? They're too concerned with what their peers think of them. Living by the expectations of others. So number three, don't live by the expectations of others. Seek to please God. That's what we're called to do. Seek to please the Lord. 
Because it says in Acts 12, 11 of Peter, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. They had certain expectations of him being a Jew that were no longer applicable to his life now that he was a convert to Christianity. There are people in churches, in Western churches and Eastern churches, with expectations. <laughs> and, and what are some of those expectations that they impose on you? Perfect. You have to be perfect. The moment you tell your coworkers you're a Christian, don't expect any mercy from them. Now, they want mercy from you. You know, I'm an hour late today because a dog was hit by a car, and I jumped out to assist the best I could. So please excuse me for coming in an hour late this morning. But you come in five minutes late. Where have you been? You're a Christian. I thought you had better work habits than that, you Christians. They have greater expectations for you than you have for yourself. And Christians are not allowed to lose their cool. No. No. You're supposed to have it together. And even though you're having the worst day of your life, as a Christian, you're not allowed to raise your voice. Said who? And the moment you do, I thought you were a Christian. Answer a question for me. Was Jesus right with the Father? Was Jesus every day in fellowship with the Father? Was Jesus always in right relationship with his Heavenly Father while he ministered here on earth for three for those 33 and a half years, was he in fellowship and right relationship? When he was doing his ministry, did he have daily communion with the Father? Was there anything broken between he and his Father ever? No. Right? Are you listening? Of course he was right with the Father. He grew so angry one day, he took a whip, turned tables over, and started beating people out of the temple. And Jesus made the whip. No, yeah. When he made a whip of cords, that's Jesus, he drove them all out of the temple. How many did he drive out? All of them. Now I know where my dad got it when I grew defiant. Don't make me take my belt off. Mm, Now I know where he got that, right? God help you if you cross a line somewhere, though, in churches. Be careful. They'll call you a hypocrite because you and your wife are never supposed to have an argument. You and your wife are having close fellowship. Ooh, I thought you were Christians. Remember the bumper sticker? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. The culture will place so many expectations that you'll walk in bondage instead of in freedom. That's good preaching. I know it is. I know. I know. That's good. I, I preached the first time when I was probably 15 or 16 years of age in my youth department. And some thought I had preached an hour and it was about 10 minutes long from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, <laughs> Bad, really bad. But I was called as a young man to full-time service. So when I stand to preach, having prepared, it's a God-given gift, an anointing to communicate God's truth. But when I'm not talking much in another kind of an environment. You know, we're having coffee or we're over in the fellowship hall and I tend to not be as verbal there as I am here. I'm thinking deeply. I'm not trying to be rude. 
and just thinking about what God's saying in my spirit and collecting, constantly collecting. We have to be careful of the expectations we place on people. When I went to church with my family as a youngster, my family dressed us up. We were going to the house of God. So we dressed up to go to church. When we took our family to church as as young parents, we dressed our children because we were taking them to the house of the Lord. Why? We were coming to be in God's presence. We wanted to give God the best. We hadn't have to offer an animal sacrifice, but we're going to do the best we can with what we have to present God the best we have. When I entered full-time service and became credentialed as a minister of the gospel, we were expected to wear a suit. It was representative of the high calling that we have. Because in our fellowship, we, don't, we aren't required to wear vestments, although some can and some do, but we weren't required to wear a collar to distinguish who we are in terms of the calling of God on our life because it's a distinguished calling. Not everybody has the call to pastor and preach the gospel of the Lord in this fashion. So we, we would expect it, since we didn't have vestments, to wear a suit. Today, it's jeans, wrinkled with holes in them, untucked, unpressed shirts on pastors. And I kind of go, wow, that's an interesting look. Let's not place expectations on people. Follow the word, follow Jesus, and please him always, period. Please him. We preached in churches where there's been, and we we complained about it. We preached in churches because we're called to do what we do. We received no remuneration. Donna sang. She played through the morning and through the evening services. We honored the Lord. We always gave God our best. I worked way beyond eight-hour days, far beyond, though. I expect others who have been given a responsibility in the body of Christ to take care of the baby God has given to them. That's an expectation I have. A babysitter doesn't care as much about the baby as the one who gave birth to it. And in the church, the expectation is you're supposed to be perfect. Incoming text. You're not. Okay? So if you're looking for the perfect church, it won't be after you get there. Because once you've arrived, it's over. Right. So during the Jesus movement, there were some ministers who identified with the Jesus culture. And they grew their hair down over their ears and onto their shoulders. And they had long hair while they were preaching. And I thought, wow, there's a, there's a, there's a different look, right? And now they've reached the point where they have hair in their ears, not over their ears. Okay. okay. So, yeah. But the good news is now there are those filled with the Holy Spirit like we've experienced in our fellowship since its inception and people of other denominations who are now experiencing and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. They had to break out of those expectations those churches had imposed on them and their denominations had imposed on them. And now they've they've stepped into the fullness of the Holy Spirit because some said it was of the devil. Does the devil make you want to worship? Does the devil make you want to witness for Jesus? Does the devil want to make you be in church more? Does the devil give you a desire to read the word of God? No, but the expectations of the church can hinder everything God's trying to do in what you receive. So I guess what I have is not from the devil 
Because ever since I received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I want to do all those things. Amen. I want to do them all. And when Peter was delivered, he was freed from the expectations of the Jewish people. Expectations can become bondage. It's one thing when you disobey God willfully and his word and you start sinning and practicing it. But watch out for man-made expectations. Watch that. Because, if, you know, for instance, if one is living in my house, they will live by my expectations. I'm paying the bills. So guess what? <laughs> this is where you're going to live in my house. If you want to eat, if you want a bed in the bedroom, guess who needs to keep it clean? You, right? If you want clean clothes, learn how the buttons work on the washer and dryer. When you get married, there are biblical expectations that God has imposed on us and said, this is the way I expect you to live in a marriage covenant. And those are expectations he has and we're accountable to him for. Those away from God remain away from God because of fear of changing expectations. Well, my friends expect me to go party with them next week. It's what we do every Thursday night. And they expect me there and there. We're going to do substance stuff and drugs and we're going to get high and we're going to party hard. And they expect me to be a part of that. Listen, you pray for your children and loved ones. God, set them free from the expectations of those around them, influencing them. Living in fear of breaking free because of expectation of their peers becoming people pleasers. Listen, do not fear what people think about you, even if they write stuff about you on Facebook and Twitter. Get your face out of that and put your face in this book. This is the book that will help you honor God and be blessed in the way you live. Amen? You know, we try to get people to come to church, and we should. We want people to hear the Word of God, and we should desire that, of course. The first place that Peter went after he gets outside the iron gate, he went from the first gate, second gate, and then finally the iron gate onto the street call straight, and the first thing you want to do when you're freed by Jesus is live right, get straight. You're going to start living the right way. It becomes automatic. What do I need to do right is the question you ask the Lord. What do I need to do? How do I do this? What's the best way for me to serve you, Lord? Peter's on that street, and where does he go? He heads straight to the church where they're praying. He heads straight for church. First place he goes. Number four, Peter knew where to go when he was free. You're trying to get people to church Because in our expectations and the way we kind of start to comprehend how the gospel is supposed to be delivered, we think, well, the preacher will preach, somebody will show up, and maybe they'll come to know Jesus. That's not the plan God has for the church. The church has been commissioned to go out into all the culture, the marketplace, take what we've learned in here and share it wherever we are on a day-to-day basis. That's the expectation God has for his church. Our expectation is they'll show up. So we're trying to get people to come to church when they're not free to start with. They might not want to attend church when they're not free because they know if they're in the right church at the right time, they'll be convicted and find freedom from their bondage. 
And if they love what they're doing, they want to kind of remain what, where they are doing what they're doing. So don't worry about where they go when they get free because once people are free, they will go where other free people are. And the reason they hang around those who are bound, those bound hang around those that are bound because there's an affinity in the dysfunction. Why? They have common dysfunction. They encourage each other in their dysfunctionality. Cons hang around other cons. Substance abusers want to hang around other substance abusers. Harley riders don't want to ride with Honda people. But if they become Christians, they'll go, well, we'll ride with you. It's okay. We'll overlook the fact that you have a Honda. We'll let you ride with us. They'll tell you, my friends ride Harleys. Okay. So why do you come to Calvary Christian Center? Because of people of like precious faith. Why do you come to this church? Because the word of God is preached and there's no shellac and gloss on it. People will go to God's house when they are freed because they desire to be around other free people. Celebrate that. Amen? We're free indeed. There once was a man in the South named Clyde Thompson. His entire family, they were all dedicated followers of Jesus, committed Committed to the Lord, committed to each other, committed to their church. Clyde was not. He was the one in the family that said, not me. No. As soon as he became of age and he could no longer have to deal with what dad and mom imposed on Sunday, he busted out of the house and said, forget it. I don't want anything to do with this. He left. When his family would always attend church every Sunday, Even when he was still living at home, he wouldn't go. He would fight, argue, fuss, and they would have to drag him, kick him, and scream him. And then when he became an adult, he would never go, even at their request. Would you come today? It's Father's Day, Mother's Day. No, thank you. He'd go hunting, go fishing, anything but church. And he became a very bitter, angry, explosive individual. And one Sunday while he was out hunting with a group of other men, a larger group of men, he got into a, an altercation, a big argument. Fists start flying. And using a weapon, he killed two men in that group. He was charged with murder, sent to death row in Huntsville, Texas. And while he was on death row, he managed to kill two more men because when they would let him out on his little break time, He'd get into fights again. This time with his bare hands, he killed two more over a period of time. So the warden knew, okay, we've got to do something to separate this guy from the rest of the prison population because he's totally out of control. So he shut down part of, part of the morgue in that prison and created a new isolation room that he parked Clyde into, Thompson into. And the door that they constructed had a very tiny opening in it, just big enough for a food tray to get in. One bulb hanged from the ceiling. There was just a tiny opening, a little crack, 
for sunlight to come in maybe up to six hours a day. There'd be just a little stream of sunlight in the room. He had nothing but a mattress, a toilet, and a sink. And any time a guard would ever come by to check or drop some food off, he'd spit on them or spit at them. Well, six months of him being in isolation go by, and a guard stops one day in pity, but a heart to share the the good news, the gospel. He said, Thompson, you've done a whole lot of bad stuff in your life, and you're not getting out of here alive. I've got something for you. You've got nothing to read there in that cell, and you never have, so don't tell anybody. But here's a Bible. Thank God for messengers who bring us the truth. From his background, he knew what the Bible was. So he takes the Bible. And he'd start reading it whenever there was some sunlight through that crack. At night, he would attempt to memorize what he had read during the time he could read during the day. And he would recite it. Try to mem- having memorized it, he would try to recite it to himself. So the more he remembered, he would meditate on it, and it went from his mind into his heart. And he was transformed in that prison isolated and when a guard then came by to drop off food or to check up on him he would whisper a verse of scripture to them from memory and over another period of time his behavior so radically changed that they put him back on death row with the rest of those inmates he began sharing Jesus with the men on death row No more fights. And the warden finally allowed him to become the right-hand man to the chaplain of the prison. He would assist in those services in chapel. He shared Jesus with the rest of the inmates and shared his testimony. After a few more years, because the behavior had so radically changed, they commuted his sentence to a life where he could check himself in and out of his cell because he grew to be so trustworthy. And out of that, he began another ministry in Lubbock County Jail. And he began to teach others how to disciple men that he had won to Jesus and to minister to them. So he began to replicate what God had done in his own life. He died in 1979, and he went to be with the Lord. You see, he never got out of the physical prison, but he sure got out of the inward prison he was chained to. How does one go from being a murderer, one who spits at prison guards, in maximum security, becoming a man of God. And when he died, others regretted that he left this world. They were sad that God took him home. See, he got God's word in him. Coming to church is great, but you still have to get the book out for yourself and read it and ingest it and let it become a part of you and read it. Don't just read it. Read it aloud. Hear the word of God because it gets in your mind and in your spirit when you start hearing it, when you speak it. And quickly, the final, the final key. Love your bound and unsaved loved ones. Love them. Don't enable them, but let them know they're still loved. Yet you haven't rejected them. 
and the way your heavenly father loved you when you were astray. Well, Father, how can I love them when they've embarrassed us and they've humiliated us and said things to... Because that's the way I love you. That's how you can do it. And I love him because he first loved me. And while I was yet a sinner, humiliating and embarrassing and dissing the God who gave me life, Jesus was crucified in my place while still a sinner. Even when I had upset God and disappointed him, he still loved me. So take the kids and your family and the people you interact with, no matter what they've done. Speak truth to them. Don't ever change it, compromise it. Don't make it what it doesn't say. Speak truth. But love them always. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And that's how I'm supposed to treat other people too. Amen? So let's stand and give thanks to God because he's given us unconditional...